Welcome back to SwitchCast Live. We are live this week. Sorry, we were uh, pre-recorded last week because of Thanksgiving and stuff. We hope you all enjoyed your Thanksgiving. But uh, SwitchCast is the podcast where we are searching for the truth and the humor in the car industry. I am your host, Doug Tabbitt, founder and president of Switch Cars. Almost two decades in the car industry. That gives me a little bit of expertise to help you guys out tonight. Uh, yeah, so... We're here with Tyler Sanders, the official supplier of banter, and Ethan Huffnagel, the producer. And the one downfall of not doing a live show is that we don't get to interact with you guys and answer your questions on the fly, which is always fun. So we've got a bunch of questions from last week's stream. Yes. uh, From TikTok and, of course, from our website, switchcast.live, which is a great site that you can go to catch up on old episodes and find places to download the audio podcast. So we're going to go right into questions. And again, since you guys are with us live, feel free to jump in with your questions and we'll try to get to them, especially if they're sent with gifts. You know, it's a Christmas season. It's a giving season. (laughs) So... Yeah. Got to, you know, send those gifts to your favorite podcast, as long as that's us. <laughs> that goes live <laughs> at 8 p.m. Eastern on Wednesdays. Hey, s- somebody posted on their story today. I was hoping it was like some official ranking of something, but somebody posted on their Instagram story, their top five favorite podcasts. And we were number five behind like Spike's nice. Car Radio and Smoking Tire and whatever. Was it like the Spotify wrapped thing? Because me include, I was posting a bunch of Spotify stuff today. I don't know. Yeah. Maybe. Maybe. Interesting. I was hoping like some... U.S. News and World Report had ranked us, but oh, it was just yeah. a guy. It was his personal <laughs> ranking. Right. Yeah, I don't know. Do you listen to podcasts, Tyler? I do. Where was SwitchCast? <laughs> well, I don't listen to a podcast <laughs> I'm on. It feels it's very kind of narcissistic. Yes. You know? I used I to don't listen. either. Yeah, no, I do not true. download or listen to SwitchCast, but we are glad that you do. Yeah. <laughs> Absolutely. So anyway, let's, let's without further ado, let's stop talking about ourselves and go to questions. All right. Zonda F355, fantastic username. Uh, I would be curious to hear Doug's opinion. You've come to the right place. On low VINs for collector cars and their values. I have VIN... 0002 1996 Viper. Reference VIN number 001 Panos AIV Roadster. Oh, no, no, you're going into my notes now. Oh, whoops. 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 You should broke, those, the, oh, right. broke the glass wall there, <laughs> whatever they call it. Yeah, so he has he has VIN number 002 96 Viper GTS. Sorry about that. That was my bad on your notes. Ethan's going to fire me. <laughs> he doesn't, I will. Um, side note, ready for nerding out here? Uh, Tyler, pop quiz. His yes. username, Zonda F355. Uh-huh. What transmission does the F355 have? Well, it had two. There was a manual and then the F1 Wrong. flappy paddle. What transmission does the F355 have? Dan is smirking in the back. I Dan, don't... do you know the answer to this? Okay. Does anybody on, on live stream know the answer to this? We're going to come back to this in a minute. This is a fun nerd pop quiz. So anyway, his question was the, the low VIN number, uh, whether or not people care about values for low VIN numbers. So, uh, and it's interesting that you said VIN number 002 because fairly recently I was offered Shelby Series 1 VIN number 002. And what I told the person was, well, it's not VIN number one. Like, everybody wants VIN number one. After one, it's all kind of like a consolation prize, 
right? Oh, I have the last one built. I have the next to the last one built. I have the second one built, the third one built. Don't care. If it's not the first one off the line, that's the one that always carries the really big collector value. And usually it's retained by the factory in their museum. They might have a bunch of prototypes also, but usually VIN yeah. number 001 is the big deal. And if you look at like Barrett Jackson, right, they'll often auction off the first one of something. Now, I think those values are skewed, one, because they always do it for charity, so people want a big tax write-off, and two, it's on TV, so people want the attention. <laughs> Very true. People that will buy a Shelby GT350 for a million dollars for the tax write-off are usually the same demographic of people that like being seen making big donations and do it for their own ego and want their names on things. However, um, there's... <sighs> I think the car itself has to be collectible too, because referencing VIN number 001, oh, who, hey. Pano's AIV Roadster. How did we know this was going to happen, everybody? Oh, I don't even know. <laughs> that car has been for sale forever on eBay for like six months. They've been asking 69-ish grand, and somebody offered it to me recently, and they said, well, we're, we're open to offers. We need to move it. I said, yeah, you need to be open to offers because it's not moving. Um, the Panos AIV Roadsters have not become highly collectible yet, um, and therefore nobody cares about VIN number 001. So it would be worth just the same amount as any normal AIV Roadster? Pretty much. Huh. Yeah, because, I mean, a good AIV Roadster is in the 40s, and they're not asking that much of a premium from a dollar perspective, and they're not getting it. Um, now, the... The 002 Shelby Series 1 did sell for more than I thought, right? So I thought the car was worth 100 to 110K. And according to my source, it transacted privately for in the 130s. And it had 5,000 miles. So it wasn't like super collector mileage. And my opinion was if you're going to have a collectible VIN, it also has to be a super low mileage car. Because if you have VIN number 001 and it has 80,000 miles, it kind of offsets the collectability a little bit until the car gets old enough that people don't care about that anymore. But when you're talking these modern collectibles, then, you know, who cares? Um, another point was we, we got offered VIN number 001 Acura NSX, but it wasn't a 91, it was a 2002. So it was like a mid-production. It was just VIN number 001 for that year. Oh. So that was another situation where, like, who cares? Because there's a VIN number 001 every year for 14 years of NSX production. So if it's not the first one, the first one, if it's the first one of this year, the first one in that, then you're getting into, like, Corvette Rare. It's the first one that was red. <laughs> yeah. So I think it does make some difference, but two is not as good as one. If you have the first one, everybody cares. If you have the second one... Yeah, the first loser, right? <laughs> no, <laughs> that not it. <laughs> if you ain't first, you're last. <laughs> yeah, maybe that was a more a better way to put it. No, I said, would you? Oh hell, Ricky, I was high when I said that. <laughs> <laughs> we are not high here. But. Uh, would you, Doug, buy a car because of its serial number for any reason? Do you have anything that really sticks out to you? Um, I would do it more in the sense of like it's an interesting number to me because like it's a lucky number and a, a number I associate with. Everybody has like their number. 
Um, so that would be interesting to me, but I wouldn't pay $1 more for it for that kind of serial number. So uh, I'm sorry, we have a hand raised in the peanut gallery. This is no, now we have, he's canceling his hand raising. Okay. It was a very exuberant hand raising. I thought you had a strong opinion based on the hand raising. Um, the, the other interesting one is Ferrari F50 number 001 is a very well-known car that was transacted through, um, uh, that place in Miami, John Tamarian's dealership. Why can't I think of the name? Curated. Curated. Thank you. Curated. Uh, and it's owned by Dennis Okoye King and he drives it, takes it to shows. It's been everywhere. And I think it's got a bunch of mileage and that's kind of the wild card of like, does that car carry a premium because it's VIN number zero zero one, but nobody knows because it's not being stored in a bubble, which usually first VIN cars are. So, yes, short answer, yes, there's a premium for low VIN cars, but I think it drops exponentially after one. Wait, here, this is a question that came in on TikTok. Is a, is a zero zero one or a 007 Aston Martin a better VIN? Definitely 007 right, Aston yeah. Martin. So that's that's the exception there. Yeah. 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 I can't find the price, but uh, Dan Doucette in the peanut gallery showed me that in, what is it, I think 2009, uh, the first ever Pontiac Aztec was auctioned off. Oh, <laughs> Serial wow. number one. Uh, another example of <laughs> nobody cares because the car sucks. <laughs> It should have been the last one. <laughs> Make one. We did it. We had our fun. Moving on. It should have been in the files of, <laughs> this is a great concept that nobody liked. All righty. Next question comes to us from switchcast.live, which uh, if you don't know is the best place to go for all of your switchcast news and, and posts. And we always like to prioritize questions uh, from switchcast.live uh, just below the the, the questions that come with money attached, you know, right. If you really want to persuade us, that's the way to do it. Uh, so Jay uh, posted this and said, Hey Doug, I'm looking to buy my first Porsche. I'm very confused on which year 911 model to buy and where to buy. How's the, uh, how's an analog, uh, like, have you analyzed the prices of the cars? Where can I look for Porsches globally? Please advise. It's a very broad question. You took the words out <laughs> of my mouth. I I don't know where to start with that other than like 10 more questions. Uh, this seems to be a fairly common theme that we get of like, hey, what do I get first? Um, I, it, it really depends on your budget, right? Like if you have a quarter million dollar budget, then get a GT3 or a turbo. Uh, it depends on your proclivities. It depends on your taste. It depends on what you want, where you live. Like there's so many different questions that, that qualify this that I don't even know how to answer it. I mean, in the standard answer is the first Porsche is a 986 Boxer or 996 911, just because they're cheap. But yeah, like if you have a $100,000 budget, then that opens it way up, and there's a lot of really good first Porsches. But like, what have you owned before? What do you like? What don't you like? And like, what do you want to get out of it? Like, what do you want your 911 to be? Is it some classic right. vintage car? Is it more modern and fast? Like, what right. do you how to analyze the pricing of the car. I don't know. Start looking for cars and <laughs> yeah. see, like you'll start to recognize patterns of pricing and stuff. Um, I, I mean, this is kind of what I charge for consulting, right? <laughs> if you're that clueless, all right, 
come to me and we can have a session. I'll put you on the couch. But that that's a that's a tough one without more information. I think some free advice if that is if the top goes down, so does the price. The cabs always seem cheaper. <laughs> <laughs> Which is a, a departure from the past. Vintage Ferraris and stuff like the the age of the eighties and nineties was if the top goes down, the price goes up. Yeah, it's but, different now. At least right. Porsches. Because now it's if the top goes down, the price of the repairs goes up. <laughs> That's We're true. Finding out that convertibles of the 90s and 2000s are insanely expensive to repair. Yeah, I'm in a couple of 996 groups, and those tops, when they go bad, do not look fun to fix. Right. And mm-hmm. price tag is very big. Well, look at the Ferrari 360 and 430 Spider with all the servos, like all the little tabs and stuff that are opening for that thing to go down. No, the 355 with the seat potentiometers that fail. All right, coming back to my question to you. Zonda 355. Oh, yes. F355. What transmission does an F355 have? Do we we have anyone weigh in with a a good answer? Not on TikTok. Uh, Someone on YouTube, Asphalt Serpent, said six-speed manual sequential, question mark? Well, actually, we did have one on TikTok. No, incorrect. He said it's a trick question. It doesn't have a transmission. Wrong. I mean, I think it does. Okay, so there's a nuance of the F355 uh, moniker system that the on the back of the car if it was a manual it would be an f355 if it was a sequential it would be a 355 f1 so f355 indicates it would be a manual i swear i knew this and it dawned as soon as you started explaining it it dawned on me i'm so embarrassed sure gotta okay. hand in my car guy card well, with that, <laughs> let's pay for this podcast. Yes, Switchcast is brought to you by Boxcast. Boxcast is a live streaming company based in Cleveland, Ohio, and they serve broadcasters and viewers around the world. Their founders launched Boxcast back in 2013 with one purpose, to make people a part of the experience. So if you're looking to live stream your podcast, church service, car show, sporting event, wedding, or even your cannonball attempt, Boxcast is an easy and flexible live streaming platform for organizations. Boxcast is so easy that we're broadcasting this show with a phone. So head on over to switchcars.com slash boxcast for your free trial. Alrighty, and we get to that point of the show where the Corvette... Hey, uh, producer Ethan? Where's Hank? Yeah, uh, well, (laughs) Doug, do you want to explain what happened this week? Well, it snowed yesterday. Yeah, bad. And I I don't think (laughs) Hank... I think Hank's too cheap to buy snow tires. So... Did he tell us he wasn't coming in at all, and and nobody uh, nobody nobody told me? Yeah, no, Weird. I yeah, not here. So, <laughs> but in honor of the Corvette curmudgeon, let's talk about rare options. I got to be honest, the peanut gallery is very disappointed, Hank. Is yeah, I mean, you have thoroughly disappointed this group here right now. So, Hank, if you're listening, ah, uh, I don't want to make fun of my mom, but the only person Hank is disappointed is is the more older females in here so (laughs) (laughs) anyway um (laughs) so so we make fun of the corvette people because they're all about their rare options but porsche people are almost as bad and it gets really really nuanced and and i say this because i was reminded of this i went and looked in the 1973 911 this week and it did not have a sunroof and I mentioned to the guy, I said, well, if this had a sunroof, it would be worth more because that was a rare and desirable option. But 10 years later, a 1983 911 would be worth a whole lot more if it didn't have a sunroof 
because a sunroof became standard and then the lack of a sunroof was rare. So then now it's desirable because it's rare. So literally, if you have a 73 911 with a sunroof, it's worth more than without. But if you have an 83 911 without a sunroof, it's worth more than with. So yeah. dumb. And like a, a 97 993 Turbo S, this uh, VinWiki recently did a video that like took the most extravagant, silly options that became worth a fortune later because of their rarity. And a, a 93, or sorry, 97993 Turbo S was featured on there because a sunroof was a no cost option. But I had sold one that net a premium of arguably 100 to 200 grand just because it didn't have a sunroof. It gets a little bit of a gray area because it car was also paint to sample but it sold for 500k when other 993 turbos oh this wasn't even an s i'm sorry this was a turbo whoa so other turbos were selling for like 300 at the time so just because it didn't have a sunroof anyway speaking of paint to sample though so we've said before that base colors are like the new paint to sample because <laughs> everybody's ordering paint to sample because they want status but uh, there was another option that um, that really illustrated this point of like everyone's trying so hard to buy rarity and buy status in that, that the common cars and the common options are becoming rare. So a friend of the podcast and a regular guest and consultant, John Sabo, has a Porsche Cayman GT4 RS, which is arguably like the best driver's car they've ever produced. Very, very hot, going for way over sticker. One of the most impressive and exciting cars that Porsche has made recently. But his car does not have the highly desirable Weissach package ah. because he's cheap. <laughs> now, on a 2019 GT3 RS or GT2 RS or a 2015 918 Spider. Not having a Weissach package would be the death knell to resale value, especially since the white gold Weissach wheels, sorry, Weissach, were on constraint, right? So like to have that option with those wheels is huge premium. However, so many posers, bandwagon enthusiasts, whatever we want to call them, uh, jumped on that train, that fad, that Tyler, <laughs> guess what percentage of the GT4 RS were ordered with the Weissach package? And it's like a $15,000 option. Like, it's it's yeah. big money. I'm guessing that the vast majority of them are. So I'll be bold and say 85%. Incorrect. 95%. What? 95% of GT4 RS were ordered with this ultra-exclusive, super-expensive Visoc package. It's not even special anymore. 1,230 cars Holy produced heck. with Visoc package. Sabo's car is now rare because he picked the poverty spec. My That's Porsche is best Porsche because I'm a cheap ass. <laughs> uh, it's just, it's so weird to see that things that people don't want uh, initially are what people want. You just give it Look a, at the pink, what, two years? pink Porsches now. Yeah. Right? Yeah. They had to bring back Ruby Star. Yes. Now Ruby Star Neo. Uh, don't get me started on that. Uh, P.S., Look at the the number, right? Twelve hundred thirty cars, GT four RS for North America, plus the sixty or whatever without <laughs> Yzuck, and they're not done yet. So that blows the nine nine seven GT three RS production out of the water. 
and the 997 GT3. Like, GT cars are not rare anymore. They no. are making as many as they can crank out. If I, which makes me happy as like a, a car person, because I feel like as many as they can sell of these awesome sports cars, I feel like they should. But I do get, I'm starting to get a little excited if I see just a Carrera, like a base Carrera. <laughs> I'm Carrera like, oh, T God. is the new. Not even car. that. Like I just like just the base model. Like who is buying this? Or like the the 997 Mark IIs during the like financial crisis when nobody yes. when you were only buying a 911 if you had the money to get a hot one. When I see a base 997 Mark II, I get excited. I'm like, oh my god, look at this! It's just yep. normal. <laughs> yep, yep. Well, and that's going to become the case too because here's the thing: during COVID, um, Porsche and probably other manufacturers was only producing their high margin cars, so they were cranking out turbos, turbo S's, taking turbo S's. Uh, you know, GTS targets, you couldn't order a base 911. They'd throw you to the bottom of the list because the margin sucked. So in 10 years, a base 911 is going to be the car to have. Yeah. Oh, the world works in mysterious ways. Yeah. Uh, we do have Vampire Bear uh, 13 on YouTube appreciating that you can pronounce Vysok correctly. <laughs> it's in irony. <laughs> <laughs> blue is blue, not blau. <laughs> and it's Y sock. Is it? Oh, there it is. <laughs> okay, we got a Y sock mm. because otherwise my sneakers get sweaty. Okay, moving. <laughs> oh. There it is. Gosh. All right. Um, uh, some of the other questions from last week were pretty good. Let's roll back to those. Yes. Uh, Fiero, I think this came from YouTube. Uh, poses this scenario this is in referring to we talked a lot about uh transporting and stuff earlier last season now i guess yeah fiero fiero with a lamborghini body or just fiero fiero uh not sure okay <laughs> so uh they say say a new car came off a transport truck damaged and it gets fixed but it's not on the carfax on a new car people would never assume it was damaged before should the dealer disclose this <laughs> wow. yeah uh, I'm sorry, you're asking a car dealer to volunteer information, which makes them less profitable and they're not required to disclose. That is never going to happen in a million years. And I have a newsflash for all of you. I'd say probably 20 to 30% of cars get damaged before delivery, whether it's at the factory, whether it's in transit overseas, at the port, in transit to the dealer, on the dealer's lot. It might be more than that number. I don't have a hard number, but uh, yeah, it's, I'm not saying it's major damage. It might be a fender here and there, but like, I, I remember going to, speaking of Weissock, uh, I went and looked at a 1980 911 SC Weissock edition and the guy was the original owner and he claimed no paintwork. And a lot of people claim no paintwork all the time, but they can't make that claim because they bought it from somebody else. He bought it brand new from the dealer. He still had the title from 1980 that he had bought brand new. There's no disputing that he bought it brand new. He's like, well, the left front fender has been repainted because there was a little bit of rust repair. That's it. That's the only paintwork I've ever had done. I looked at the car for two minutes, ran the paint meter around it to verify what I already knew. And I was like, sir, your entire car has been repainted. He's like, no, it hasn't. I'm like, 
You see this overspray? See where this gold is on the rubber <laughs> around your windows? That's overspray. Somebody repainted your car. Like, it was everywhere. The The wow. meter readings were super thick. There was paint flaws everywhere, and he was blown out of the water that he had bought a brand new car that had been entirely repainted. It happens. It happens a lot. You're wow. never going to get the dealers to tell you that. So... I, there's some guys, and I don't entirely blame them, that take paint meters with them to buy a brand new car. Yeah. I mean, like like you said, they're not legally obligated, and it would mean they have to sell it for less money. Like Geotech on TikTok, who uh, works at a dealership, said, I'd say it's more than 30% that have damage. I'm trying not to exaggerate. I like to be known as a underseller or whatever, but... I. It, it may be more than 30%. I just don't want to throw out a big number that I can't confirm. But it's a lot. <laughs> it's more than you would think. Very unfortunate. Uh, next question comes from Nick Kruger. Uh, very related. Uh, if you have a car and it has an inaccurate report to Carfax, that could be accident, salvage, some mileage, etc. Any tips on how to get that removed? I've seen this before and it seems like a nightmare to deal with. Uh, it, it really depends what it is. Sometimes, at, at least for subscribing dealers, because uh, dealers support Carfax for the most part, um, it, it's fairly easy because we can just go into our dashboard and say, hey, I need to report a discrepancy. They'll research it. They'll give you an answer in two days. Uh, it used to be quite easy, especially with mileage discrepancies. It still is with like number of owners. If you say, well, this was a duplicate title issue to the same owner. Um, we found it a lot harder now because especially with emissions tests, right? Because, I, you know, I, I, I don't mean to knock anyone that works at an emission station, but I don't know a single human being that works there. And every experience I've had there has been subpar. Like, they find the people that nobody else will hire, I, I swear. I mean, I guess that's partly just government. But, um, like, they, they're constantly punching in incorrect numbers. And um, I don't think it should be, like, an official mileage record on Carfax. But you have all these mileage inconsistencies because of emissions tests. And Carfax used to just strike them, no like no questions asked. Now they're like, well, the information we got from the agency is is correct. And I'm like, well, just because it came through correct doesn't mean it was right on their end. Like just because your source gave you the information doesn't mean it's right. So I've had a lot more pushback with them lately. Accidents are really, really difficult unless you can provide full documentation, including the police report that says like, hey, this is the wrong information. Um, it's pretty tough um, unless it like literally is wrong. So I had a situation recently where I bought a GT3 RS that showed a major accident on Carfax and it was the same owner and it was on the same insurance policy, but it wasn't even a scenario of like, well, they had had somebody else or they had like sw swapped plates from another car that they had just bought. It was just, it happened to be on the same insurance policy as this other car that had gotten wrecked. And so when I showed, I had to get the actual police report and like prove to Carfax 
that they were wrong before they'd remove it because Carfax defaults to trusting their source. But the problem is their source is mostly government organizations, which, you know. Yeah, no. Listen, they came up with a student loan program and social security. They're not too good at what they do. So, yeah, it's difficult. You got to have all your paperwork in order. It's it's doable, but you it's it's like a little mini court case. Get get a dealer's help. It's a little bit easier with dealers because they have well, they you know money moves everything. Ain't that the truth? Uh, we have a follow-up in YouTube chat. So a couple weeks ago before Thanksgiving, Anthony Russo had asked what PTS colors would look good on a Fox body Mustang. And it turns out that they've purchased some Brewster green. Say good call on the color. It's uh, They were leaning towards the green and it's the right shade. Happened to pay a fortune for a PTS color, though. So I don't know. You did know you... What, it, what you'd call it if they didn't like the color they bought? Oh, PTSD. <laughs> okay. <laughs> So that, one, that, one was actually, that one was actually decent, though. I didn't mind that one. So, uh, Anthony, I guess, Doug, do you know, can you buy PTS, like, buckets of PTS paint from Porsche? I wouldn't think so, but... Oh, gosh, no. Porsche has this thing now where you can buy, like, uh, a paint card to, to mix. Like, if you want to paint your wall in speed yellow... Oh, they're actually selling buy, jugs they're of They're selling jugs yeah. of it. It's gone to the ridiculous. It is all over my Instagram feed. A friend of mine did this for his garage or oh. something. I made fun of him so hard. I'm like, you know it's just like a friggin' Martha Stewart color, right? <laughs> what color did he pick? I don't I don't even remember. It didn't matter. <laughs> he started spewing this nonsense about paying, you know, two hundred dollars a stinking bucket for for this Porsche paint to sample wall color i'm like god man they know how to make money (laughs) (laughs) it's there was a oh goodness i read it was an article or it was a thing on you there was some media that i consumed that essentially was saying oh it was in uh like the latest issue of triple zero like the the first page was talking about how porsche's marketing and like social media is so good at getting people excited to spend a lot of money (laughs) and they're concerned with i'm paraphrasing all of this but they were concerned with like are they paying too much attention to like the social media clout and actually not putting money in the right spot because, like, the Dakar is cool, but when we talked about it, you were like, that's probably not going to be worth a ton of money because nobody's going to drive it. And, you know, they're cool, but it's the, not like, the, I, you know, there's a lot of reasons that it wasn't going to go to the moon. Yeah. The, the, so the it, more it, I think about it, the more I retract that statement that Dakar is an awesome car. I think it's one of the coolest things they've done. But it does not negate the point you make about them chasing clout. But they're everybody else, all their customers are chasing clout. So... Well, and that's it's like they're they're playing into it, and it's like influencing yes. decisions now. And it's like, is this the right? Because why right. why else would they start? What, would they partner with a paint company to sell interior paint that is PTS colors? If you wanted it that bad, you could just take a swatch to your the Home Depot or someone to like mix it up, or just buy like cannery yellow and tell somebody that it's signal yellow. Like, yeah, nobody's you... gonna know the difference. It's like blind tasting bourbon and saying. Here's Pappy. Here's Evan Williams. Tell the difference. I could tell People the difference, can't. Doug. <laughs> you can, but another bourbon aficionado whom we love couldn't. 
mixed them up. But uh, honestly, that's the majority, right? So like yeah. we did a blind bourbon tasting, 20, 25, 30 people who claim to be aficionados. Blind tasting, the high score was 50%. The best score was half wrong of an entire group. And only four people got half wrong. Everyone else was worse than half wrong. It was tough. So like there's, there's a parallel there to this Porsche stuff. If you don't tell people what it is or say how rare it is or say what color code it is and just let people like take it in, it would totally change the landscape. Yeah, you, you're right. All right. With that. <laughs> All right. Switchcast is brought to you also by Celebrity Machines. Celebrity Machines offers more than 250 different screen-accurate license plates as they've appeared in movies and TV shows, such as Back to the Future, Ghostbusters, The Fast and the Furious, Breaking Bad, and so many more. Celebrity Machines also makes our dealer insert plates, as well as our commemorative 2539 plates from the fastest cannonball run ever. Visit CelebrityMachines.com for more info and use promo code SWITCHCAST to save 25.39% at checkout. I like how at the same point in that ad read every time is when you frantically remember to show the license plates to the live viewers. <laughs> no, I'm sharpening my knives. That's terrifying. Uh, we do have a super chat on, on hey! the YouTubes from Priyam Patel, who's been messaging a little bit tonight. Uh, allegedly, <laughs> apparently, there is a Mercy for sale in India, and the reserve is 45000 U.S. Uh, it was seized by the income tax department of oh, India, yes. and they are auctioning it with other cars. Have you we've, heard of this? We, we've all heard about this, yes. Yes, it's right-hand drive, it's an e-gear, and there's... I don't know, probably all sorts of complications with bringing it back to the U.S. I talked to Ed Bullion about this, who loves bad story Lamborghinis, and even he couldn't be bothered because he's like, man, it seems like too much effort. <laughs> so, well, because yeah. for those of us in America, you'd have a right-hand drive e-gear, probably crap mercy. <laughs> I'm guessing. <laughs> like, I, I guess if you can get it back here. Um it's time for a market update this week. The market has been doing fantastically interesting things, keep us on our toes. Uh, but one specific example that we brought up a couple weeks ago was a 1994 Porsche Turbo 3.6, which was a one-year-only car in Amethyst, that's a purple, Ooh. on Bring a Trailer. Now, the reason this one was interesting is because we could see the recent sale history, and it sold two years ago from one dealer to another on Bring a Trailer for four hundred grand. Then it sold a year ago from that dealer to another dealer for four hundred one k. No coincidence there, four hundred one k. So then it was listed by that dealer again a year later. So it's basically doing the hot potato thing from one dealer to the next. And we were curious, okay, where is this going to sell given that the market has uh, substantially cor corrected even on collector cars? Did you see what it sold for, Tyler? I did not. I want to be surprised. So it went 400, then 401, now 395. Okay. All right. Finally, though, to a private buyer. So it didn't go to another dealer to wait for somebody else to pay more. That is more than I expected. It was also more than I expected. I, I was kind of hoping for like a an outlier transaction one way or another, like four fifty, and we're like, well, that's probably somebody pumping up the market, or three fifty, and going, okay, that's yeah, the market's really correcting. So 
395 was was pretty strong, all things considered, and I think it shows that there's certain niche within this market niche niches <laughs> niches. Niche, what is the niche? Okay, plural well, you lost niche. me there. Uh, <laughs> there's certain niche in this market <laughs> that uh, nice. are 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 breaking the trend of just down. Well, I think it's like it's apparently weird Porsches like that, Countach's, uh, Diablos. I think everything else is kind of you know going a little bit down, but those seem to be holding. Yes, yeah. Um, speaking of which. Um, the, the overall inventory in new cars is worth a look here because the market has corrected big time. A lot of people are rejoicing because they were tired of dealers charging massive markups. And one of the ways that we measure this metric of how strong or weak a market is, is the day's supply of inventory. Um, so the, the day's supply of inventory by brand, and we're going to look at both, uh, ICE cars and EVs. And uh, the, the overall uh, historical average for new cars is about 60 days. Now, the luxury car segment is usually a bit higher. Uh, but right now, we are looking at where are we at? So the national average is 67. So it is slightly higher than a historical average. Um, the last couple of years, we've been looking at the market. It's more we've been looking at like, well, what's it? What's the market? Uh, compared to like pre-COVID, right? So a lot of numbers have been ticking up or down, but they're still stronger than, you know, 2019, 2020. Even though, you know, values may seem to be way off from a year ago, they were so far up that they're, they're not corrected beyond normal. Well, looking at the average national supply of inventory, it is higher than historical average. So we are more than back to normal. The crazy thing is here, uh, well, Toyota is sitting at a measly 33 days supply and Honda's at 38, which is no surprise there. Uh, the overwhelming losers in this are literally <laughs> the bottom four are Jeep, Ram, Chrysler, Dodge. Oof, that's not a good look. Which the crazy thing is, I think Dodge and Jeep or Dodge and Chrysler are near the top, if not at the top, of the JD Power initial quality survey, which somebody pointed out only measures uh, the first problems reported in the first 90 days. And the Dodges are so bad that they're holding them on dealer lots and not delivering them. So that's why they're killing it in the initial <laughs> study, because they, they, they're so bad they can't even deliver them. <laughs> <laughs> to report a problem. <laughs> anyway, so the the mark the average is 67, Jeep is at 123 days supply, Ram is 129, Chrysler's at 135 and Dodge is off the charts at 186 Gosh. days supply of inventory. Uh I tell you, I do drive past a couple of those uh combo dealers where you got your Chrysler, Dodge, Ram, Jeep, they're packed to the gills oh, with cars. Yeah. Um, EVs, on the other hand, so let's see. Typically, they're 88 compared to the 60 um, new cars. Uh, EVs, oh my gosh. Uh, not good. <laughs> the lowest day's supply 
of EV is 119, which is the Audi Q4 e-tron. They are dying on dealers' lots. The highest is... (laughs) I was going to say, tell us the highest, Doug. Oh, boy. What's that number? The Jaguar Jaguar I-Pace. Hold on. Before we get there, the Ford Mustang Mach-E, which is supposed to become its own brand, is at 253 days supply. The Jaguar I-Pace is 327. (laughs) Almost a year. Jaguar has almost a year's worth of I-Paces in stock, and it probably will become a year in the next two weeks when they don't sell it. That is oh, insane. Man. That is actually insane. That is nuts. Are they even making any more? Like, how can you be pumping out more cars if you've got Gosh. that many just hanging out? Well, they're they're trying not to make any more. Uh, the CEOs of these companies that are making EVs are backpedaling hard on their promises. So, yeah, it's, it's not good. I love it. <laughs> I love it. <laughs> Yeehaw. <laughs> Wow, this, these numbers are bad. Audi e-tron GT. There's 185 days worth of e-tron GTs. 176 days worth of Porsche takens. Nobody has taken. No. Them. Oh, there it is. Um, uh, shameless promotion here. Uh, our so that would be switch cars. Average turn this year is just under 65 days. So we and and note I said earlier the historical average was sixty days, but luxury segment is higher. So I'm very proud of that, especially in what has been a declining market all year. It is our second lowest uh, average turn ever, the lowest being in 2021 when nobody in the car industry had to be good at their job to make a whole lot of money. So uh, yeah, uh, shameless plug right there. We've got uh, Devin Ruckus in YouTube that says there is a story, I don't know if you've heard of it, about the new Grand Wagoneer that sat on a dealer lot for 570 days. Doesn't surprise me. That is astonishing. One of the guys that works for us has a Grand Wagoneer, and he was on the phone this morning a lot with Chrysler Corporate because it has been absolutely nothing but problems. We all made fun of him when he bought it. He knew... He knew his mistake, but uh, yeah, they're they're not good, not good. Um, on that note, there was a question that I wanted to address um, regarding the declining market. Somebody had asked something about how are we doing in this market. I thought was relevant to this. Yes, that is our handy question of the week, Doug. Oh, <laughs> look at that! A question Almost of the week. Almost like I set that up. <laughs> It's Perfect brought to you timing. by Nuts for Sticks. Nuts for Sticks is a brand celebrating the manual transmission in all its forms. So forget the flappy paddles. We like shifting ourselves. Check out our fun and funny stick-themed shirts at nutsforsticks.com and save 10% on your order using the discount code SWITCHCAST. That is nutsforsticks.com and use code SWITCHCAST. So our question of the week comes from a dad named Alex. Uh, where did this come from? Is this Instagram? I think. Yes. Uh, so. Question is, how are you guys holding up with the fluctuating used car prices? Or are you immune because they're luxury cars? This is not only the question of the week. It's probably the question we get every week in some form or another that, oh, well, the economy sucks, but you know, rich people never run out of money, right? They're luxury cars, so they rich people just always have money. And I'm like, well, yes, but 
rich people have a lot of money because they're smart and don't make stupid decisions, especially in a declining market. Um, luxury cars are very much not immune to market corrections. And I would say that they're more volatile um, because they're not a necessity. Um, there are certain segments that are somewhat immune to this. The, the top, top, top blue chip collector cars, you know, the Ferrari 250 GTOs are selling for $50 million. Yeah. Okay. There's only 33 of them in the world. Those aren't changing in value because of a slight hiccup in the economy. Um, but the rest of them, the hundred, $200,000 cars, absolutely. Those are taking a beating. Um, we're holding up fine because partly because we do consignment. So if the cars go down in value, it's the consigner's problem, not ours. Um, two, we've been staying up on this market like a hawk. We've been watching. I mean, we kind of, I don't want to say predicted it, but we knew this was coming. We knew that the party couldn't last. And so we weren't buying cars like the party would never end. So our margins are getting smaller on a lot of stuff. And it's more difficult to buy inventory because you go, well, this might be a good deal today, but it's not in a month. You know, the old saying of it's like catching a falling knife. Um, but, you know, we're in a cash strong position. We're not leveraged and we're very, very careful with our buys. So that rewards, um, you know, that, that caution is rewarded in times like this. So yeah, it's, it's, it's harder work, but yeah, we're, we're doing fine. If, if anything, I, enjoy the market correction a little bit because people are not so quick to the line of, oh, my car is only going up in value. <laughs> they still say it, but now I have data to prove them wrong. <laughs> well, like that's like I was listening to, uh, it was on some other podcast where Demiro was talking about how people are constantly submitting cars to his auction platform, uh, wanting the six month ago reserve price. Yep. And he's like, guys, what do you, what do you, t- all your comps are six to eight months old like this isn't yep. what's happening anymore so it's like there's a lot of people that just don't want to acknowledge what's happening um but it's uh it's here for the last two years i've told customers i said any comp older than 90 days is irrelevant because the market's moving yeah. and at some point at some points it was 30 days like oh that was from two months ago how cute <laughs> yeah Do- it does not matter today so so I think we have an interesting question that uh, you'll like that this was from YouTube uh, last week uh, during the live stream that was not live. Uh, so Jasper Thompson says, hey, guys, I'm from Maine and I want to purchase a manual Porsche Carrera 4S and I want to use it during the wintertime for snowboarding and summertime for joyriding. How well is the all wheel drive system on that generation of Carreras in the snow? And is there anything I have to look out for with issues with that generation? Poor scoring. <laughs> Poor scoring IMS. <laughs> um, no, you don't. Just uh, budget in $20,000 in case your engine fails. But um, all-wheel drive systems, amazing. I have a 997 Carrera 4 that I daily. Uh, I don't have the two-foot uh, winter storms that uh, out in Ohio that that is that Maine does. But, um, yeah, no, I love it. A good set of snow tires will do you wonders. Um, go a little bit narrower in the in the the rear than the standard 305s, 315s that you run in the summer. Get like a set of ten or eleven inch uh, rear snow rear wheels and go down in size. 
like a 285, I think it is, um, for the rear. Cause yeah, the wider, the more you're going to float on the, the snow, but no, they're, they're great winter cars. Um, the all wheel drive system is rear biased. So you get a lot of sideways fun, but man, I, I love it. I think it's best winter car possible. So absolutely so good. go for it. So the, the wall of shame is one of our favorite yes. segments is where we turn around and make fun of customers because customers have the opportunity to review dealers, but we never get to do the, the reverse. Um, so this week, this wasn't really a customer. This was just somebody we wanted to make fun of. Uh, somebody posted a Boxster, a Porsche Boxster for sale on a Porsche 911 buy and sell page. Uh-oh. Well, that itself <laughs> yeah, that was not itself. that was not the the fail. That was not the 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 wall of shame, uh, because that is allowed per the rules of the group. But somebody responded, "Too bad it's not a nine 11 I'm sorry. Quote: Too bad it's not a nine eleven. Go enjoy your boxer in a boxer group. Non nine eleven posts here are mostly the equivalent of junk mail. Yikes! End quote. It's like Woof. the Porsche curm- curmudgeon came out here. Gosh. Yeah. And boxsters get made fun of quite a bit by Porsche snobs. But anyway, but the guy who posted this response, this 911 snob, a Mr. Hugh Devlin, has a public profile picture <laughs> with his 996 911. Oh, uh, silver 996. Which, no offense intended, Tyler. Ouch. It's it is a glorified boxster. <laughs> You're not entirely wrong. So he's like hating on this guy, like, oh, get out of here with your boxer. You don't belong here. And I'm like, you have a rear engine boxer. Yeah, I just don't. I don't. It's like making fun of people from Maine and then going on 23andMe and finding out you (laughs) married your cousin. (laughs) I just don't get. (laughs) I'm just going to cruise right by that. Ethan, we're going to let that sit. I mean, I don't understand being that uh, high and mighty because you own a 911, but especially a 996. I love my car, but it is the cheapest 911 you can buy. Like, that runs, you hope, until the the Porsche car happens. The 74 to 77 2.7 S used to be the cheapest, but yes, the 996 is officially in that category. Just uh, just don't, it's not necessary. (laughs) So much. I, I feel shame to be to have a 996 to be associated with people like this. That and uh, the people that overbadge their cars. That really get that grinds my gears like nobody's business. That's definitely graduated Corvette people. Oh, 100%. <laughs> it's really bad with 996 owners are just Corvette owners with a slightly more money. Not uh, that much. Slightly. slightly. Yes. Yep. Yeah. And they still don't maintain them. <laughs> nope. um, before we get too lost, we, we do want to follow up on our discussion from last week. Um, we're talking about whether or not you should warm up your cars. Um, and I, I do want to say caveat. I do not mean when I was advocating for this, I don't mean warming them up to full complete operating temperature. I'm not saying like you should let your car warm up to, to, till the oil's 240 degrees. Right. I mean like a minimum operating temperature for your, you know, your oil to, to circulate properly and do its job like a hundred degrees oil temperature minimum depending on your car, and especially before you beat on it. So I, I think a lot of people were thinking like, oh, you're advocating we should let our cars warm up for half an hour. No, no, I don't mean that. But these articles that are saying you shouldn't warm up your car, they're all written 
in some way to benefit environmental activists. And they're basically like, well, if you let it warm up for more than 30 seconds, you're harming your car. No, you're harming the environment. Just be honest about what you're pushing. You're not harming your car. It needs to warm up. Um, anyway, speaking of that, I have a joke. Yes, which knock joke? knock. Uh, who's there? GM lifters. Uh, GM lifters. Who? BMW rods. <laughs> Wait, hold on a second. BMW rods. Who? Don't slap me for that joke, please. <laughs> You'll be like Porsche M ninety six, M ninety seven pistons. Oh God. <laughs> anyway, so when we were talking about this, um, uh, our producer Ethan posted it on TikTok, and it sparked quite the heated debate. Are you warming up to my humor yet? Uh, Okay, that was pushing a little too far here. Okay, we'll give it another 10 minutes. (laughs) 20 if you're a diesel. Ethan's biggest contribution to the podcast so far today is an old man grunt. Anyway, it sparked sparked quite the contentious debate on TikTok. I'm just going to drive by all of that. Where just about everyone Uh warms up their car, and I was appreciative of that. So we wanted to share a few of the comments from... Um, the thousands and thousands of comments that we got. It was it was a very contentious debate on there. Are they um, telling me I'm stupid for my very specific 996 practices? <laughs> was uh, there a lot of that? Yes, nobody nobody was with you there. I, there was like five people. Um, but uh, yeah, there's there's some great comments in there. Um, yes, uh, a lot of them were along the theme of, and I like this. Listen, I ain't warming up my car. For the car, I'm warming it up for me. <laughs> I am not getting in a cold car. I like Who that. cares about the engine? Um, and, and I, we said something about, like, you at least have to let your car get up to temperature before you shut it down. Yes. Right? Like, if you have a short commute, like, whether or not you sit there for 20 minutes warming it up, like, it has to be up to temperature. You're hurting your car in a lot of ways by not getting it up there. And Kristen Spencer said, my commute is 100... Oh, sorry. My commute is one and a half miles through residential areas, max speed, 45 miles an hour for about only a quarter mile. The rest is 15 to 25 miles an hour. I never warm up or cool down. Oh, boy. (laughs) Don't ever buy that car. No. (laughs) My cats are clogged, and I don't know why. I've got like a five or six mile commute, and even then, sometimes if it's cold, I take a slightly longer (laughs) route just to make sure my car is like fully up to temp. (laughs) Oh, man. Yeah, there there were some good ones. Any that stuck out to you, Ethan? I'm looking Ethan. at Ethan and wow. talking to Tyler. Over I there. can't yeah. even yeah. got my wires crossed. Uh, but speaking of Ethan, though, I did see <laughs> someone did. Uh, I saw someone did get uh, on you, uh, not because of the the content of what you said, but because of the way that you pronounce the word reputable. Reputable? <laughs> yeah, you said reputable. Reputable? Oh, and, did I? Yeah, and someone oh, was like, must have been that bourbon in the comments. <laughs> yeah, that was my observation. The the top it. comment, and I think this is this is quite good. People who think thick, people who think sixty degrees is cold think warming up your car is bad. Yeah, I saw that. <laughs> <laughs> There's a lot of people from like Minnesota and Alaska and Maine that were like, a lot. Listen, yeah. you guys have no clue. <laughs> you don't even know. Yes. Okay. And and you know, down south, you can not warm up your car, but it's this car's not moving if we don't warm it up. Yeah. D the green hobbyist. I don't warm my truck up for the truck. I do it for me. <laughs> Love it. Yes. Um let's see. Do we have time for the shrewd negotiator? Barely. 
I, I, I think it's, I think it's worth doing. So the shrewd negotiator is brought to you by Vin Wiki. Shrewd negotiator is uh, about one step short of the wall of shame. It's somebody that's trying to get there by their odd negotiation practices that usually are, are not that good, even though they think they are in their own head. Uh, and there was a post recently in a dealership group and there was a car salesman who was trying to lease a brand new car. And this was a very urgent situation in like the next two days. I think he posted this on Thanksgiving, trying to find a dealer that was open. He needed to lease a brand new car because he was seven grand flipped on his trade. Flipped is dealer code for upside down, negative equity. Your car is worth 20 and you owe 27 grand, right? Um, so I'm not going to go into all the negotiations and, and his reasoning. I'm just using this as a PSA. I don't know who needs to hear this, but buying a new car is not a good plan to get out from under negative equity. What? Buying a new car <laughs> does not make your negative equity go away. Just, Going to a car dealer is the worst possible way to deal with negative equity because you gain instant negative equity when you leave the dealership with a new car. Sales tax, depreciation, all the crap you buy on the back end, the rate markup, the you know finance products, a wheel and tire warranty, all of that stuff is worthless when you leave the dealer lot. So if you're seven grand buried on a car and you're like, oh, shoot, I need to go lease a new car to fix this problem, that is not fixing the problem. Also, if you're desperate like this guy trying to buy on Thanksgiving, you're going to get rate markup and you're going to get totally jacked around on the back end. So I'm not saying dealers shouldn't make a profit. I am a dealer. I'm saying that new cars are one of the main thieves of wealth for the average person. And this guy was a car salesman, is a car salesman. He should know better. But you guys don't necessarily all. So I'm just telling you, if you have negative equity, just friggin' pay it down. Don't just push it somewhere else. Well, you're going to have to pay it anyway. What you're just like adding banking? more onto it. <laughs> infinite banking, yes. <laughs> right, I'm sorry. That's right. Ethan, you're right. If you have negative equity, just go on infinite banking yeah, and that'll take care of it. it right? I mean, if you keep getting works. new cars and Rent keep pushing it the negative equity into other stuff and then eventually you die, it doesn't... Uh, <laughs> I'm not smart enough works, to understand right? how all that works, but... It's uh, fascinating the different mindsets that people have. Oh, it's nuts! That. Yeah, it it doesn't work. That's why you don't understand how it works. Oh, that makes sense. What? <laughs> 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 anyway, with that, it is time for the props and flops brought to you by Switch Cars. Switch Cars is the enthusiast dealership where we buy, sell, consign, service, and store only cars that we like ourselves. So check out our hand-picked inventory at switchcars.com. And our pick of the week from Switch Cars inventory is what, Doug? Um, I changed my mind at the last minute. It is a 90, 1995 Mercedes E320 Cabriolet in red over tan interior. It has just 21,000 documented miles from new, and it is super clean. It is on Bring a Trailer this week with a very aggressive reserve so i believe it will sell and the interior is crisp and fresh and everything that you would expect a twenty-one thousand mile car to be classy minus a couple of the broken plastic clips and stuff that all of those 90s cars deal with so um let's see our flop of the week 
George Foreman's collection is up for auction on Haggerty Marketplace. Haggerty sells grills? <laughs> Somebody in the peanut... It's <laughs> 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 a grill collection. <laughs> you really roasted that one. Uh, amazing. All I can think Haggerty. of is Michael Scott with, with uh, bubble wrap around his foot. <laughs> Bacon in the morning, Trying to man. make breakfast in bed. <laughs> my George Foreman grill. I got my foot stuck in it. Um, okay. Anyway, that's not the flop. It's actually really cool. He's got some really cool cars. Just don't start grilling me with all these questions just yet. That, that was a good one. That, yeah. was, that was pretty yeah, good. There we go. <laughs> Peanut Gallery loved it. However, a bunch of the cars have quite a lot of corrosion on their bright work and other metal parts because of the high acid content of ash from a fire that started in his garage from a grill? golf cart battery. Oh. <laughs> yeah, that sucks, period. But it's also ironic in all our discussions of EVs versus internal combustion cars, right? He's got this giant collection of collectible gas-guzzling cars that are terrible for the environment. And what starts the fire? An EV battery. Well, golf cart battery. Whatever. Wow. Yeah. So it's disappointing because there's a, a topaz blue over cream of BMW Z8 on there, which I really want. That's the color I want. And there's only like 37 or 47 of them or whatever um, because nobody wanted that color originally. Now everybody does. Um, but it's like literally every chrome piece, interior, exterior, everything is just pitted. It's gone. Like it wow. all needs to be replaced. You could get so, it really cheap though, probably. I don't know if it's cheap enough. Like, I, does BMW still make those parts? Like, yeah, that's true. You got to disassemble half the car. So I'm not sure about that one. Um, the prop of the week. Goodwood Revival has announced that the 2024 event will be the world's first historic motorsport event to race exclusively with sustainable fuel. Now, for those of you that think I hate the environment just because I'm not jumping on the EV bandwagon, partly because the bandwagon only has like 250 miles of range and takes forever to charge, <laughs> you're wrong. I very much love the environment and believe that we are as people to be excellent stewards of this wonderful creation. However, I don't believe that EVs are the way to get there. You don't? All this time. <laughs> Porsche has been doing a lot with their carbon neutral fuel, and I'm very excited about the possibility of this clean energy. Uh, but anyway, Rowan Atkinson, uh, you know, is, Mr. Whatever, Bean. Mr. Bean. Yeah. He actually does talk, yes. Um, <laughs> take this with a grain of salt, right? Celebrities are always giving their political opinions, and I don't think that they should have a political opinion just because they have a microphone, but whatever. He is a certified car guy, right? He he had an F1. He had daily yeah. drove a McLaren F1, wrecked mm -hmm. it yeah. twice, rebuilt it. Like, yes. Okay, Baller. so I'm taking his opinion on this. And it was burgundy. Oh, so good. Uh, so <laughs> he, he uh, went on record about the synthetic fuel saying, quote, I used synthetic fuel in my racing. Oh, sorry, I should do Mr. Reed. <laughs> <laughs> That's good. <laughs> I used synthetic fuel in my racing Jaguar and found it to be not just as good as the pump petrol used previously, but in performance terms, superior to it in every way. 
it's perhaps unsurprising that if you synthesize a fuel from first principles, you're going to make a better product than that produced by just applying heat and pressure to some black gunk you dig out of the ground. Now, the people in the peanut gallery from Maine, because they're older than the people on the microphone, will remember when, I think it was the Reagan administration, they brought out synthetic fuel as well to deal with the oil embargo. And then it flopped because all of a sudden the Middle East saw competition and they dropped prices. So synthetic fuel like EVs and hybrids and everything else is not a new technology. This is, you know, it's old technology, but it is pretty cool that the new synthetic fuel is totally carbon neutral, supposedly. So I'm pretty excited about that technology. I think it is the way forward or one of the ways forward because you don't have to completely recreate the infrastructure that we have, which alone is terribly damaging to the environment. Um, so I'm, I'm, I'm pretty excited to see where this goes and I'm glad that Goodwood is, is jumping on this train rather than the, the EV train. So um, with that, um, that brings us to the end of our regular segment of the show. Stick around after for Tip Talk if you have questions or comments or suggestions. Uh, and yes, thank you to my co-host, uh, official banterer. Me. Yes, Tyler <laughs> Sanders. Uh, thank you to our producer, Ethan Huffnagel. Our sponsors, Boxcast, Nuts for Sticks, Switch Cards, Celebrity Machines, Parallel Printworks, and Stephen Home Woodworking. Our bumper music is provided by Emily and Ivory. You can stream the full album on Spotify or SoundCloud. This episode will be available next Monday in audio format wherever you listen to podcasts. Thank you for listening, and we'll see you next Wednesday at 8 p.m. as we look forward to edifying, educating, and entertaining you on the drive of your life. <laughs>